When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. What's going on, everybody? Zach Rosenblatt back here with the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast. It's going to sound a little different today. We have some news to break to you guys. Um, I know Matt Lombardo wanted to break it himself, but it just didn't work out timing wise. Uh, so it turns out last week's episode was Matt's last. He he left us uh, at NJ.com. Uh, he's going to another venture. Uh, we're excited for him, but uh, yeah, we're, we're going to miss him for sure. But now uh, we got Daryl Slater back here, whose voice I'm sure you guys remember from last year. Uh, we're going to be bringing this podcast to you guys every week. It's going to be me and Daryl for the foreseeable future. I know Daryl is just so excited to talk to me once a week. He, he he tried his best to avoid me during this pandemic, but I think he's excited to be back. It should be noted that it's Daryl and me, by the way. And that, oh, I mean, God. The, okay. I professional journalist. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to be forced to do this with you. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll miss Matt, I guess, a little bit. So, yeah, man, so obviously, I don't know if people know. I do a little Jets, a little Giants, mostly Giants lately, though they have been pretty similar franchises in terms of lack of success lately, haven't they? So <laughs> Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little later. Yeah, but so excited to get into it. Yeah, but yeah so but before, we, uh, before we continue, uh, as always, make sure you guys are subscribing. We're on all the podcast apps, Apple, uh, Apple uh, Google Play, Spreaker, all that good stuff, uh, write us reviews, and make sure you sign up for our text messaging service, uh, nj.com slash text, so you can you know get away from the clutter of Twitter and all that stuff. And you can hear from Daryl and me directly, which I'm sure you're very excited about. But uh, let, we'll, we'll get into some Giants. We'll just get right into it. Um, we can look back a little bit at the last game uh, before we look forward. I, I, it's a lot, of this, a lot of the same problems that they've been having. This team is owned for uh, I don't really see much reason to believe they're going to win many games this year, just as I didn't see much reason after last week. But their defense certainly played better. But what what was your feeling when you when you stopped after the end of that game and after we talked to everybody? Like, what what was your feeling about the Giants after that loss, Daryl? Yeah, I mean, just obviously a jarring lack of <clears throat> of offensive production and or competence. I mean, on any level, I mean, they they've been inept on offense the past two games, nine points and, and six total field goals. Uh, in each game so obviously they're not doing anything on offense they really miss Saquon Barkley their offensive line is a mess uh, Daniel Jones continues to make some some tough uh, decisions and, and poor decisions in big spots um, other than that Mrs. Lincoln how was the play I guess I don't I don't know <laughs> you know like they they're not getting what they need from Jason Garrett in terms of 
um, you know, coming up with ways to scheme around their talent efficiencies, which is they knew they had those before he, he took the job. Um, so obviously they miss Sterling Shepard a ton and they miss Saquon Barkley a ton, but the reality is they're going to have to work with that just like other teams didn't have to work with that. They're just so thin talent wise. And it all gets back to what you guys have probably talked about a lot and, uh, what we've written about a lot. And it's the fact that Dave Gettleman's done a poor job of building this roster. So that's where the giants are and they're going to play a team on Sunday and the Cowboys who are reeling, but it's just hard to see the Giants winning this game. And like you said, hard to see them winning many games, but the focus now becomes Daniel Jones for the rest of the year. Yeah, let's talk about Jason Garrett for a second, because, you know, I, I thought he deserved maybe a little more benefit of the doubt than he was getting when, when they hired him, you know, because he obviously comes with reputation for, you know, everybody always made fun of him for clapping in Dallas and, you know, they're, they always were disappointing in the playoffs. So, but, you know, the, in, my, in my head, I was thinking, you know, he hasn't actually called the plays in a while. So who knows what he's learned over the last decade or, or less than a decade, I guess, since he, he called it in 2012 last. So almost a decade. And then he gets here and then this offense is just so boring. He doesn't use any creativity. He's not throwing. He's not having Daniel Jones throw the ball down the field. I saw a stat that Daniel Jones has thrown the ball down the field on less percentage of his passes than any quarterback in the league like more than 20 yards down the field, wow. which is just bonkers. Um, they don't really run play action that much, and that's when Daniel Jones is at his best. Like, I just don't see any creativity from this guy. I know the talent's not there, but you, if you're a good coach, you kind of make do with what you have, especially if they're as high on Daniel Jones as they say. Like, is Jason Garrett, like, from your perspective, is he one maybe the biggest disappointment so far on this team? Like, I, I can't think of many more. Certainly. I, I think that's totally fair to say. And I, I thought the guy, I thought it was a reasonable hire. You know, I didn't think he was going to necessarily come in and, and be a sure thing, great coach. And, uh, you know, I wrote a couple of things saying they should consider him for the head coaching job before they consider Joe Judge, considering the talent or the other talent, the other candidates that were out there. And then when the offensive coordinator job came open, I thought he was based on the, based on the candidates who were available. Um, probably the best one out there. It's not like there were a ton of great ones, but he was proven. He had called plays before he had developed a quarterback and Dak Prescott and, and he'd been a head coach. So he could mentor Joe judge in that regard. Um, but yeah, all the things you said are true. They, you have not seen the sort of um, inventiveness that you would have hoped for um, that you need as a coordinator to kind of, to kind of paper over some of the talent issues and some of the injury issues that teams always will have in the, in the NFL. So he's been a huge disappointment. And I think he could very well be one and done and could be the fall guy for the season if if things don't go as well as they hope. And um, they, maybe they want to bring someone else in for Daniel Jones. The, the issue then potentially becomes three offenses in three years. Um, and, and, yeah. and how much does that impact a young quarterback? So we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But he certainly hasn't done a lot to secure his employment so far beyond you know 2020. I mean, if you just look at the raw numbers, are just all terrible. Like you and I were texting earlier because I, I found this like bunker stat that the Jets and Giants are both tied for last plays, averaging you know, yards per game. I forget what the the total was. It was, I think it was eleven or twelve, was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That was the total for the yeah for the four games. And the Giants, I believe, are still in last place in rushing because they were so far in last place going into this game. Uh, their offensive line has been bad, as we said, and and they haven't scored a touchdown since week two, and they only have scored three touchdowns overall three touchdowns in four weeks is just like inexcusable and embarrassing and hard to even fathom. Yeah. It, it really, like you say it out loud, like there's Robert Tanyan, the tight end on the Packers, whose name you probably never heard before. Now, Daryl scored three touchdowns for the Packers the other night. That's correct. And he has as many as the giants have. Like it, there's people have been making those jokes all week and they have every right to keep it. It's going to get to the point where it's a cliche, but like this, this offense is just abysmal. 
and that that is almost entirely on Jason Garrett, but it also is on the other guy who I think we need to talk about, who's kind of tied to Jason Garrett here, and Jason Garrett's job security is tied to him as Daniel Jones. Um, Sunday was his 16th career start. Uh, he lost it as he's lost most of his starts. He's three and thirteen in all the starts. He's turned the ball over. Um, he's turned it over. I can't remember the number. It's it's because he turned it over twenty three times last year and seven. So thirty thirty turnovers in his career so far. And uh, that's just. I mean, that's an, the whole thing with him was he he needed to fix his turnovers and he's still making those same poor decisions. He shows flashes of being talented. I I guess my like main question about him is like how how do you even evaluate him this year? Because I think. On one hand, you have like so many things stacked against him. The offensive line is awful. Jason Garrett's not calling plays to get guys open. The receivers aren't getting open. Golden Tate has just been very bad and disappointing in so many ways. Uh, Evan Ingram continues to be disappointing. The, these running backs, you know, they can they can't do anything if the, if the defense is in the backfield every time they touch the ball. Like so, how, how much? I guess how much percentage of the blame goes on Daniel? How much is on his circumstances? I guess. Yeah, that's a great question. It really is. I mean, at some point, you have to overcome the circumstances. You really you ha- you do. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And the best quarterbacks are able to do that. Now, is sixteen games enough to say whether this kid has it or doesn't? I, definitely not. I mean, I think people still look at Sam Darnold. He he just hit the thirty start mark and. The jury's still out on him, and he'll get the rest of this year to prove himself. And I, I, I think it's premature to say that if Daniel Jones, unless he has just a disastrous year, it's probably or definitely premature for to say the Giants would go after Trevor Lawrence. I think, you know, from a pragmatic standpoint, I know that potentially they'd be firing their GM and have a new GM here. Um, I just don't see ownership okaying drafting another quarterback after giving Daniel Jones two years. I mean, I think, and which is, which is fine. I, I, I get, you know, look, it worked out fine for Arizona and Kyler Murray, but that was an extreme situation where Josh, Josh Rosen was so inept. If you just come out of this year with mediocrity, which is almost, almost the worst case scenario, isn't it? Because I ideally use giants. You want this guy to light it up, but, uh, you want something definitive, right? I mean, you don't want to just come out of it thinking like, oh, well, we, we still don't know. You want to know. Um, but if you know in the negative way after two years, then it will have gone really south. I don't see that happening because I think he has enough ability to at least hover in mediocrity, even with poor talent around him. So then it becomes, yeah. you know, what do you do with Trevor Lawrence? What do you do with a high pick? Yeah. Um, do you trade out of the pick to get more picks? And I think, I think I'm going off on a tangent here, but um, that might be a good approach given how few picks they have. So anyway, but I I think, yeah, I don't think there's enough around Daniel Jones this year that you're going to, that he's going to necessarily be great. And maybe he will be great. Maybe that's inside him, but I don't think there's enough to draw it out of him this early in his career um, because the things around him aren't beneficial enough, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of, you know, he's, he has to play with the the cards he's dealt. And, you know, there's guys, you, you look at like what Carson Wentz did at the end of last season with all these practice squad guys and Carson Wentz has regressed this year too, by the way. But um, like you, like you have to, if the best quarterbacks elevate the talent around them, like it's hard to elevate offensive linemen. Like, so that's not, he can't do anything about that really, except for not hold on to the ball too long. Um, but yeah, you know, it's an interesting discussion about like wh- what, these next 12 games mean for him. It's kind of going to be an audition for the next general manager in theory. Cause I think you and I are both of the agreement that Dave Gettleman is not long for this job. Uh, he does not deserve to keep it any more than he has to this point. He's, he's been awful. The roster is a mess because of him. The offensive line was supposed to be his forte and he has failed that miserably. Um, so, you know, he has 12 games to audition for the next GM because if they are bad enough that they have the number one pick, that means they were worse than the jets who might win 
two or three games um or the falcons or like all these other teams so if the giants have the number one pick then that means daniel jones probably wasn't very good over the last 12 games and so now you have to consider do we do we view trevor lawrence as a superstar and if that answer is yes then you kind of have to pick him and then like the the second part of that then becomes like so how how are you filling all the rest of your holes in your roster and is trevor lawrence just going to fall victim to the same things because you know if they don't improve on the offensive line if they don't get you know better receivers for Trevor Lawrence or whoever the quarterback is, and it's going to be the same thing again. So yeah, it's um, a great point. Great point. Yeah, I mean, it's the balance of of the importance of quarterback and and how much the circumstances around him affect him and filling roster holes and all the things that a GM of a bad team or rebuilding team has to address. And uh, look, I mean, the Giants we talked about earlier today. They only have five picks <laughs> because they traded yeah. away the seventh pick, seventh round pick for Isaac um, Yadam. Uh, Yadam and. Um, Leonard Williams, the fifth round pick to the Jets. So um, potentially they could try to recoup some of those picks at the trade deadline, which then becomes a question of, do you let Dave Gettleman handle the trade deadline? I was, I was just going to bring that up actually. Yeah. So let's get into it then. Yeah. So I, I was going to say, so that's kind of like another interesting part of this, like lame duck GMs, like the, the worst run organ. I mean, you covered the Jets in when they did maybe the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in like running an organization and the Texans kind of followed it up similarly recently. Let me, let me guess what, uh, all right. Did you <laughs> say the Percy Harvin trade? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm talking about, of course, when uh, Mike McCagden was able to run a draft and free agency to oh, sign okay. Le'Veon Bell. I was CJ thinking Morgan. very dumb. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and he did all these things and then they fired him. And I've just never heard like that's the most Jets thing ever because nobody would ever no other organization in the right mind would ever do it. The point being, like, okay, and then the Texans did something somewhat similar where they handed Bill O'Brien all this power, let him trade away their best maybe their best player and DeAndre Hopkins traded away all their draft picks, and then they fired him four weeks into the season. Like the, the idea that like if if you're thinking about firing the GM, then you should just fire the GM. Like if there's a chance you're going to fire him, you don't let him go and make moves. So that becomes a problem with Gettleman this year. Like. What of course John Mara has to approve it at the end of the day before they go and pull the trigger on anything, but like, do you really want to risk Dave Gettleman botching the trade deadline in the way that he did with that Leonard Williams trade? Which you know Leonard Williams has played quite a bit better than I expected he would this year. He's actually gotten sacks, which he often struggles to get. But that still that trade is still just makes no sense in retrospect. No matter how good he plays this year, he's making sixteen million dollars. Like, so are you going to let Dave Gettleman control the trade deadline where he's in theory, you know? GMing for his job, or like, do you really trust him to trade away these guys to get draft picks? And I certainly don't. I think we're coming up with some story ideas here. This is a brainstorming <laughs> So, uh, yeah, look, I mean, the trade deadline coming up later this month, and um, that is a question they're going to have to confront. So then, who do you let cut to handle the trade deadline? It's not like you can just hire a GM on the spot. Yeah, Kevin that's also true. Kevin Abrams would be the guy, and he would be someone you'd consider for the GM job in the future. But um, you're potentially, again, letting a guy handle the trade deadline who might not be here if you decide for a full-on house clean. Because that's that's um, a complication. So that's that's the complicated part of it. And, you know, letting a GM handle the trade deadline and then firing him after the year is not nearly as bad as what the Jets did with Mike McCagan and what what, what the Texans did with Bill O'Brien. But to your larger point, I mean, the the GM's role is so far-reaching, obviously, as opposed to a head coach. Letting a head coach work the final two games of a season, who cares if you know he's going to be fired? whatever it doesn't matter um like with adam gase this year what difference will it make if they fire him now is what everyone's saying and and, and right i mean maybe it won't but um do you should you pull the trigger on the gm quicker or not i don't i don't know look i mean i think that they have to figure out 
they're not trading Daniel Jones, right? So they, they wouldn't no. be making some franchise-altering trade. They would be yeah, trading Evan point. Ingram for a mid-round pick. I mean, yep. trying to recoup something. These would yeah, or like Golden Tate or Jabril Peppers, like one of those guys or whatever. Right, yeah. dangling these guys who are not have long-term potential, and everyone knows they don't have long-term potential. Yeah, and there's a reason why they're available. It's because they're not good enough. So The more damaging thing would be doing what Gettleman did last year, which he, it would be, of course, I guess you can never rule anything out, is 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 bringing in a guy and trading yeah, a yeah, draft pick. So if you're cleaning house, I think that you and I could do that, right? I mean, and, and everyone would agree it would be a logical move to get rid of Ingram or Tate or, or, or Peppers or somebody like that. The guys who are clearly not foundational players um, and you try to get some recoup your losses a little bit. Um, this would not be a situation I would presume where he would do something like he did last year, which is give away picks for a player in, in a trade that looks foolish. Unless, uh, look, I mean, barring some miracle run by the Giants, but if the things keep going in this direction, they're surely going to be sellers in the trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the offense is this bad is entirely on Gettleman in particular. You just look at the move, almost the moves he hasn't made are kind of worse than the moves that he did in a way. Like, obviously, the Nate Solder move is probably his worst free agent signing. Um, but you look at, he didn't add anybody at center. So they're playing a guy who's never played center before. Uh, Cam Fleming is the right tackle and he's been better the last couple of weeks, but he's been a swing tackle for his whole career. And so th- they were supposed to rebuild the offensive line and they have a rookie at left tackle who is, you know, as most rookie offensive linemen are not quite ready, but it's a little more alarming when you look at how good guys like Makai Becton have been across the league. And then a wide receiver, this was a historically deep draft class at receiver, supposedly, and a lot of guys are producing as rookies, and Dave Gettleman didn't add a single one. The only receivers he added this offseason of note were Damian Ratley uh, and C.J. Board, who were two guys I never heard their names in my life before they were, were wearing Giants uniforms. Um, and they've kind of showed why that's the case. They just haven't made any impact of note. So you look at like what he hasn't done to to, to support Daniel Jones while he's still in his... Like the, the whole thing in the NFL is if you have your franchise quarterback, you need to capitalize on the window when you're still paying him his rookie money. And Daniel Jones, you know, he, he still has to develop and all that, but they're not supporting him in the way they need to. Great point. You look at the, the, what the Eagles did with Carson Wentz, you know, and, and the Rams of Jared Goff. And they made these runs when these guys were still on uh, their rookie contracts and the Eagles wound up paying off with a Super Bowl. And, and maybe they don't get a Super Bowl for another 20 years, but you people in Philadelphia are going to remember that one forever, obviously. So, um yeah, you, you have to build around a guy like that when, when you have him. And, I, you know, I hadn't thought about the the, the – that in, in a while because you know you look at Denzel Mims got drafted by the Jets and he hasn't yeah. done anything but that yeah, kind of really spoke true. to I think he, he was uh, whatever I mean if you pick the wrong guy it doesn't matter it's right, it but, almost but, but, but to be fair I mean the, the Jets you know took they a tried. shot at somebody there and they needed yeah. they had a, a need and they they passed on a couple guys but I think he was like this whatever number of receiver picked and there were so many receivers picked high um that there certainly was uh, available were available assets for the Giants in that regard to address a position that you know, probably needed addressing, uh, considering Sterling Shepard's health issues. Um, Darius Slayton's been a productive player, considering he's a fifth-round pick. But I said the Golden Tate signing is just so brutal, man. I, I just like I, Dave Gettleman. I, has he I, the free agency signings have just been bafflingly bad? I mean, Nate Solder and Golden so the, the only good ones he had were this year with James Bradbury, who's looked pretty good, and Blake Martinez. But other, other than that, it's been all bad. Right, right. And so um, the Golden Tate signing coming back to haunt him, they, they have had so much tied up in the receiver position in terms of cap space and, and, and what you're putting into that position. You know, I guess he wasn't willing to pull the plug on Tate just yet. But, you know, as you kind of alluded to, uh, Tate's been bad, man. I mean, and probably like the fourth worst thing he's done is get into a fight with Jalen Ramsey yeah. Yeah, yeah. in the middle of the field after the game and risking breaking his hand or whatever. 
Yeah, and I, I wrote about this earlier in the week. I was pretty critical of Golden because, you know, the whole idea of them shipping out Odell Beckham a year after giving him a new contract um, was that they wanted to, you know, cl- clear out the locker room of the malcontents in theory and, you know, help the culture and bring in some professionals. And they were going to rebuild while also trying to win, which never works and it hasn't worked here. And so they brought in Golden Tate, who was in theory the best receiver on the market, but also had been terrible for the Eagles the previous year. And then he goes and gets suspended for PEDs. And I know he said it, he had said it had something to do with him and his wife trying to have a baby or something. But the reality is he put the drugs in his system and he was suspended four games. So he was unavailable for those games. He was relatively productive last year when he played, but not like number one receiver money, which they're paying him. And then this year he's, he missed the first game with an injury. He's been awful when he's played. He has a hundred yards, I think total 105 yards. And, uh, and then he gets into a fight with Jalen Ramsey. Like he, he, they're, they're on the hook. They they can cut him after the year, and they almost certainly will. But yeah, like you said, that was just a brutally bad signing. Um, I guess so. We we have it's hard not to be negative about the Giants, but I should say we can we can be a little positive here and then spin it forward to the next game a little bit. Um, the defense played quite well, shockingly well against the Rams. Um, I did not expect that at all, especially when you looked at their secondary is just banged up. They have a bunch of no name guys. Adrian Colbert and Ryan Lewis and Isaac Yadam were playing a lot. And they they held the Rams to seventeen points, right? Yeah, they were the number one uh, offense in DVOA, yeah. which is you know Football Outsiders ratings coming into the game. Yeah, I mean the, the Rams have Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. They have a few running backs that are explosive. They have some talented tight ends. Their offensive line is pretty good. And the Giants' defense really, for four quarters, just played. They they had one really bad mistake on the Cooper Cup touchdown where nobody was covering them, and I think it was a miscommunication. I think. James Bradbury said he messed up on that. Um, and so that was a long touchdown, and that kind of was the difference in the game. But, like, the the defense doing that, and, I mean, Patrick Graham deserves, like, so much credit for working with what he has, which, again, is not really a whole lot of talent. You know, you have James Bradbury. You have a guy like Logan Ryan, a reliable veteran. Blake Martinez can get some tackles. Um, and, like, Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence are pretty good. Uh, but otherwise, you're playing guys like Tay Crowder, who is Mr. Relevant. Uh, he was playing most of the snaps and looked pretty good. Like they're they're playing all these no name guys and Patrick Graham's like he's scheme like like we said the opposite of Jason Garrett. He's being creative because he doesn't have that much to work with, and it paid off in a way where they shut down a great offense. If they can do that against the Cowboys, the Cowboys are a lot more beatable than the Rams in terms because their defense is so bad. So I mean I'm not saying I think they're going to beat the Cowboys because I don't, but like Patrick Graham certainly deserves a lot of credit for what he's done. No doubt. I mean you look at the coordinator hires that Joe Judge made, and they, they were going to be so critical because he he it's not like he could step in as a life raft and you know call the offense or call the defense if things started going south. I mean these guys he he was going to roll with these guys as the play callers this year, and you look at the two uh, coordinator hires he made, and of course Jason Garrett was the sexy hire, the former Cowboys coach, stays in the division, all that stuff, and then there Patrick Graham, more much more under the radar, a guy who the Dolphins just let go they you know let him say okay yeah sure yeah go ahead and take the job you know they didn't really fight to keep him um brian flores didn't and um you know he came in with a lot of question marks about whether he was going to be able to take a defense that was really bad last year under james betcher and 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 have any improvement especially considering the personnel was so lacking even even before the xavier mckinney injury um you look at this defense and you wonder where the difference makers and still you wonder that right i mean so i think maybe he's doing a little bit smoke and mirrors and We'll see if he can continue this, but um, I think certainly an admirable job so far in terms of production. And you, we talked about those 
you know, DVOA ratings and Dallas is, uh, what, 12th right now in offense. So, you know, that's a challenge and Dak Prescott will be a challenge for sure. But as you alluded to also, they're defensively, they're 24th. So their defense has struggled. Their offense has been pretty good. But uh, if, if Patrick Graham can do what he did against the Rams last week, I think that bodes well for the Giants. Chances, if they can score more than nine points, I think they're probably going to have to do that. I'm going on a limb. I think maybe you have to score nine points more than nine <laughs> points to win. Yeah. Um, before we do, like, this, our preview in that, I wanted to uh, – so you and I have a story that's coming out. It'll probably come out around the same time this podcast does in the, in, uh, on Thursday morning. Because um, I, I was just I was just thinking about how – it's pretty remarkable how the Jets and Giants are almost like the, the Giants will be the worst team in the NFL, if not for the Jets, or you could say vice versa, I guess, because the Jets were more competitive this last week or whatever. But they're just like both miserable and the New York sports are just so miserable in terms of football right now. And I, I, I was just thinking like there's a lot of weird things about both these teams. So like which which team has the brighter future? So we kind of went through all the categories and I, I, like like what well, before we did that, like, what was did you feel like the Giants would come out of the Giants ultimately came out as one we thought have the brighter future? But was that how you thought it was going to go? We did what six categories? Yeah, six. I think we did quarterback, uh, coaching stability, front office stability, ownership, uh, talent on the roster, and then future flexibility in terms of like draft picks and salary cap space. The, so it wasn't three three. I honestly, I think didn't we have a push in there? I, I forget what it was. Anyway, yeah, the push, the, we said that the push was on the talent because neither of them have like a lot of elite talent or right. the giants won three to two then. Yeah. Um, we're not going to no, we're not going to spoil it, even though this comes out about the same time, but yeah, so I don't know what I would have thought. I mean, I think ownership probably puts the giants over the top just because the jets under Woody and Christopher Johnson have been so bad and not like yeah, you can't Harris. be worse than that. It has done you know a lot recently, but um, yeah, and, and the quarterback thing obviously the mainly only because Daniel Jones is younger, um, a year behind Sam Donald. Does he get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt? But you, know, you talk about how bad these teams have been. They're both zero and four this year, obviously. And uh, <laughs> since twenty seventeen, the start of twenty seventeen, the Giants are twelve and forty, and the Jets are sixteen and thirty six. And um, since the start of twenty sixteen, the Giants are twenty three and forty five, and the Jets are twenty one and forty seven. <laughs> that's insanely yeah. bad wow. and they're two of the worst teams in the nfl since 2016 and since 2017 and um you remember the giants were obviously good in 2016 so even if you include that year they're 23 and 45 even if you include the year they were good in 2016 so um obviously a dismal stretch i mean this is this reminds people of the of the 70s who have followed both of these teams for a while and this will be what 17 18 19 20 fourth straight year that both these teams miss the playoffs because it's it's not happening for these teams this year and um who knows how long it's going to continue it's tough to envision either either of these teams being in, in the mix for the playoffs next year so um even with the extra wild card spot so the the long-term future um you know we talk about who, which team is brighter maybe the giants are brighter but by long term we certainly mean beyond next year so don't yeah, yeah. don't get your hopes up for maybe for next year i don't know i mean i feel you know i guess we're naturally pessimistic but that, that feels realistic if anything yeah and you know, the interesting thing is they're kind of like the flip side in a, in a few different ways. Like you look at like Adam Gase is almost certainly on the way out, but Joe Douglas, I think we can both say is probably pretty safe because um, he hasn't really had a chance to build that roster yet. And then you look at the other side of it and Dave Gettleman's almost certainly gone and Joe Judge is safe. So you look at the coach and GM, like it's flip flop there. 
Um, and the issue the Jets have run into in that regard in terms of rebuilding is having coach and GM on a different track, and the Giants are going yeah. to get into that, and the Jets are going to get into that. I mean, it's probably better to fire your coach and then let your GM hire the new coach rather than what the Giants probably are going to be getting into next year. And that's exactly what happened in 2013 when the when the Jets paired John Idzik, the new GM, with the, with the incumbent coach Rex Ryan, and they did not get along, and mm. the relationship was was very poor and they were both they both lasted two more years they were gone after 2015 the jets hit the reset button with todd Bowles and mike mccagnon in 2015 and uh and that didn't work out but usually you want to hire both guys at the same time or keep your gm and fire your coach what's going to happen with the giants next offseason is not ideal likely going to happen and so it's on john mara to find someone who can work with joe judge because um he wants joe judge to be the future um, so I think that the, you, that's critical. I, I mean, it's kind of an obvious point to say you don't want a GM who doesn't get along with your, with your head coach, but, um, it, it would seem that, you know, t- the situation the Jets are probably going to be in with that, uh, job search is perhaps a slightly more enviable than the Giants. Yeah. And I think the Jets have a more obvious path to like improving their roster, although you can never like count on the Jets doing the right things. They have a lot more cap space coming up. They have a lot more draft picks, especially after that Jamal Adams trade, although you have to look at it from the lens of they gave away a guy in Jamal Adams who they're probably not going to get a player that good. Um, and so I think that part of it's interesting. Like the Giants, they're, they have a little less cap space than I realized until we did this because you have to factor in that Nate Solder's contract was pushed back a year because they were looking forward to being able to cut him after this year, I think. So now you have to pay Nate Solder next year. So I think they only have... They're only projected currently to get fifteen million in cap space or something wow. like that. Wow! Uh, you they'll, mean you guys like Tate and... yeah, yeah. You can make some of it up, but you know, then the question is like, what the salary cap is even going to be because uh, there's no fans in the stands, so the revenue is going to be way down. Um, and so, I mean, it can only drop. There's like a threshold, I think, one hundred seventy-five million or something like that. But like the Giants don't have as obvious of a path to like filling all their holes, which kind of goes back to the earlier discussion we had of like, so do you pick Trevor Lawrence or do you fill a need kind of thing? And that's kind of, they, they really, whoever the next GM is, he's going to be under pressure to like, he needs to get every free agent he signs right. And every draft pick he signs right, because they don't really have enough like leeway to, to get creative. Um, yeah, Dave we, Gettleman will have left a fairly bare cupboard, just yeah. like Mike McCagnan did for Joe Douglas. And that, I guess and, that's what happened. And Jerry Reese did for him. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what happens. That's how you get fired as a GM. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're not getting fired if you're leaving them with a good roster. Um, all right, let's let's transition back into let's look ahead to this weekend uh, before we wrap up. Um, so they have the Cowboys in Dallas. Uh, the NFC East, insanely, the Giants are 0-4, and then and you could you could say they're still in the division. This isn't a team that's going to compete for the division, but the NFC East is just com- such complete trash that the Eagles are at the top with at a, with a one two and one record. Um, but they're going to be going to Dallas, a, t- a defense that has allowed, I think, at least 39 points each of the last three weeks. So if the Giants were ever going to get their get-right offensive game, you would hope it would come this week. Um, I'm, I'm more concerned with Giants defense against a very explosive Cowboys offense with Dak Prescott, and they have three receivers that are really good in uh, Cooper, Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb, and their offensive line is always really good. Um, and so I, I'm not as confident the Giants defense can stop them again uh though the cowboys haven't really been all that inspiring like, what, what's your feeling going into this game in general yeah i mean uh, you, you mentioned those points i hadn't i had not looked at that but the cowboys gave up 49 last week against the browns and then 38 the week before against uh seattle and then 39 in a win over the falcons in, in week two so and then week one they gave up 20 points and a loss to the rams so it's been a rough year in in dallas and it's funny to hear people after the 
Cowboys game talk on Sunday about, uh, oh, maybe it wasn't all Jason Garrett's fault in, uh, you know, in, in, in Dallas. And then the four o'clock games are all around, but, oh, maybe it actually is all Jason Garrett's fault in New York that the team, that the offense is terrible. So. <laughs> well, that's, the, that's the funny part. Like I, I was thinking about that because everybody from the, like the Cowboys has been pointing out Jason Garrett never started one in three. And I'm thinking like, all right, we should calm down. Just look at what's going on in New York where he has the worst offense in football. Like I, yeah, <laughs> maybe he, maybe he was better at like not letting the bo- bottom out in Dallas, but I don't know that he's a better offensive coach than Mike McCarthy. Certainly. Well, you have more more to work with, no doubt. Um, more to work with in Dallas, Jason Garrett did. And the criticism of him is always is going to be what it was of McCarthy in Green Bay and what it could be of McCarthy in Dallas, which is didn't get enough out of the talent. They certainly have the talent. Um, and, and, you know, the criticism of Jason Garrett there was he didn't get enough out of it. And maybe that'll be the case with McCarthy here as it was for him, McCarthy in Green Bay. Um, but, you know, with, with Garrett in, in the Giants, he's going to have to do this uh, if he's going to be successful with a lot less talent. So, uh, you know, Jason Garrett, the first time ever coaching in Dallas as a visiting coach. And, he you know, he was only in Miami 05, 06 as quarterbacks coach. And then he goes 07 to Dallas. Um, and, and continues on there from you know a position coach all the way up to a coordinator and then head coach. So it's it's a place that's special for him. Obviously, I, I guess some fans will be there. I don't know what the deal is with that, but it will surely feel like zero fans with the with how big that stadium is. But yeah, yeah if, if if the number one issue for for the Giants is their offense, and it is. Um, the number one gripe in Dallas is their defense. So I think it's an interesting juxtaposition here of, 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 like you said, an opportunity for the Giants to get right against a team that defensively is struggling as much as they are. Uh, the Giants are offensively. And uh, look, if Garrett can't can't put up some points on his old team here, you know, you wonder, uh, you know, whether he's going to be able to do much of anything this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the Cowboys, their defense is not is not as we mentioned, it's not good. They do have some pass rushers though, and and that makes that has me concerned because the Giants' offensive line obviously has been playing pretty well. Um, I haven't done my score prediction for this week yet. I, if I had a if I had a gun to my head, I, I probably would say the Cowboys win something like I don't know thirty one to twenty or something like that. I I just I I think the Giants can keep it relatively close against this team, but I I just don't think the talent that talent wise they match up. Yeah, I picked it already because I'm not a slacker about turning him up. I picked it Cowboys 21, Giants 10. Put very little thought into the final score, as as usual. You know, let's be honest here. I'm not sitting here for hours ruminating over a final score for our pick. But 21 to 10, Cowboys, Giants. Maybe that's a little steep. I looked at the line that um, our guy who does the picks sent out, and it was 9.5. So that's a, a slight cover there. I mean, Look, I mean, maybe you look at that line and say, geez, you're nine and a half, but the Giants are bad, man. They're really bad. And anyone listening to this knows that, so it's not news to anybody. Um, <laughs> but I just don't I don't see it. I don't see this offense getting going against many, if any, opponents this year for the Giants. Yeah, uh, hard to argue with that. Um, I, so I, since we're towards the end of the podcast, I can do a little media complaining, which I'm sure people love hearing. But uh, one thing I was just thinking about as we were talking is that I'm going to – I'm, I'm I already hated that I had to miss the LA trip last week, and I hate that I the Dallas Cowboys press box is maybe the best one that I've I've covered games in. They have like snacks and desserts and great food, and uh, you know there's obviously more di- crappier things going on in the world. But I, I will miss being there. On so- I'm going to be many. sitting on the couch. Probably the bed, second but. most crappy thing going on in the world. <laughs> and then you not being able to go yeah. to Dallas. Thank you. I'm it's glad great. I mean, the press box food is great. And then you peek hand lodge downtown 
Dallas and the deep Ellum area has got some great little bars and restaurants. And I, I, I will say I've not been to Pecan Lodge and I would love to go, but sort of <laughs> worth there on my only trip and, and ate some great barbecue and a little, uh, divey place in the middle of nowhere north of fort worth that was awesome and um it's a great trip as long as you don't stay anywhere near the stadium and you stay in dallas or you stay in fort worth and you can have a lot of fun i mean that look man i mean that's these trips are, are tough to miss i mean obviously you get the dallas trip every year in the division but yeah like I said, i'm sure you guys have talked about it the la trip the seattle trip um I mean, f- fans are are losing these too. Like, it's not only us. So, like, I know, I know there's, there's a lot of Giants fans who like going to the cool road games, and they're not the only fan base that does that. So, hopefully, we get to go back to some games next year. But it, it's been it's been very strange, uh, like dealing, like watching these games from home, the road games lately. Watching from home, it's a very different experience. I'm not used to. Yeah, like I don't know. I mean, you're obviously you're watching on your TV, but I don't think people know necessarily so with you living in the Philadelphia area, you're not getting a lot of these games yeah. on TV. So you were having to find, let's just say alternative ways to watch the games on our <laughs> laptops. And, uh, and I live in the giant, you know, I live in you know, central New Jersey. So I'm able to kind of I'm be in the giants coverage area and get the games. But, you know, even still I'm sitting in the basement where I'm doing this right now and, and I'll watch my games on my own laptop um, while watch the games on my laptop on Sundays, uh, in the, in the basement. <laughs> so I'm not disturbing the baby upstairs. So it's, it's quite different than being in the press box, you know, watching on the 13 inch screen. But I, I think maybe people have seen a little bit of the benefit of, you know, you can, you can learn quite a bit on TV. I, I really do think, and maybe this is cynical that football is a really overrated spot sport to watch in person. I'm happy to go to the games and I like doing it, but it's re- you miss a lot in person. You really do. Um, and in that watching on TV with the benefit of replays does add a lot and it, it helps to a degree, but no free press box food. So, <laughs> and I will say even just being at the stadium, like with the, especially at MetLife, which as I know the fans agree with this is like the most boring stadium in the NFL, maybe or at, boring, not worse stadium. There's worse stadiums. Um, anyway, it's, it's just like, so it doesn't even feel like a NFL regular season game sitting there. I don't know what your feeling was, but like it feels like a like a scrimmage almost because there's just like no energy. There's no excitement when a touchdown happens. It just kind of happens, and then the next thing happens, and I just I, you just look up, and all of a sudden the game is almost over, and nobody's going crazy at the end. Like it, it's just like such a weird, weird thing. I miss the booze. I do. I would love yeah. to. I would love to see you know even the you know the emotion and the reaction of whatever. I mean, certainly we don't care how the Giants do win or lose, but you know just the visceral emotion of. I, you know, man, I mean, there's the expectations were so low for the Giants this year that if they were doing well, people would be especially overjoyed about it. And and given the start that in reality has happened, I'm sure people would be just gnashing their teeth over what's <laughs> what's happening, yeah. rightfully so. Um, and that's the stuff that, that you miss going to games, the energy. And um, yeah, it's not the same. I mean, on TV, they have, as people know, they have the, the fake audio, but we don't that doesn't really exist in the stadiums just to give people an idea it's it's a low hum that goes on throughout the game and you barely even notice it it's not that loud yeah. especially with a press box that's closed in and most nfl press boxes are not open air so we we barely hear it so we don't um we don't hear what you guys are hearing on tv which is the tv added um simulated sound to kind of when there is a touchdown to have that loud uh, uproar so um yeah I, I can't even imagine what it would be like covering this game in that stadium in dallas given how cavernous that place is and or I should say just large 
Uh, that place is I've gotten lost there many times for sure. Yeah, I mean it's an awfully cool stadium, but uh like you said, hopefully back to back on the road so, sooner rather than later. For sure, man. All right, we can we'll wrap it up on that note. Um as always, make sure you guys are subscribing. We're on all the podcast apps. Uh write us a review, send us some tweets. Um and we're gonna get another podcast for you guys next week and maybe the Giants will get their first win on Sunday, even though we both don't think that's going to happen. But we'll, we'll uh, wrap it up there. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. 